Anyone know what that is? That's music to my ears. That's another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling shirts or sandals, start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build relationships that will keep them coming back. Shopify covers all the sales channels to successfully grow your business, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is here to help you succeed every step of the way. It's how every minute, new sellers around the world make their first sale with Shopify. And you can do it too. I love how Shopify makes it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere. Whether they're eBooks or earrings, Shopify simplifies starting and running your own successful business. When you're ready to take your idea to the world, do it with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Now it's your turn to try Shopify for free and start selling anywhere. So sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite. Go to shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite, to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash c-suite. You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. Our guest today is Alana Frankel. She is author of Women in Weed. We're going to talk to her a little bit about her involvement in the cannabis industry, how it's changed and morphed over time. Talk a little about where we are and potentially where we're going uh, in cannabis and, and hopefully get some interesting perspective and, and some good stories. So with that, Alana, welcome to the program. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's all about storytelling. Good storytelling. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Before we get uh, kind of into what you're doing today and everything that's going on in cannabis, we'd love to kind of hear the beginning. It's like, what, how did this first come up? How do you get involved in cannabis? Give us the, the story. Sure. So I have been a responsible recreational user most of my life, and it was something that I just did. I didn't think about it. I'm not a big drinker. I don't really drink alcohol. So yeah. it's something that I that I just used recreationally, adult use. But about seven years ago, I was on a girls' trip weekend in Miami. Mm-hmm. And I was sitting having dinner with two of my girlfriends. We had just ordered appetizers. I excused myself because I wasn't feeling well. And the next thing I knew, I opened my eyes. I was having a CAT scan in the hospital in Miami. Wow. Yeah. 
And nobody could really piece together what had happened, but the end result was that I had fallen. I had fractured my skull. I had a four and a half inch fracture of the back of my skull. The impact was so great that my head then thrusted forward, yeah. bruising the front part of my brain. I had two big black eyes. And when I woke having a CAT scan, I did have the wherewithal to understand that I had to stay still because I was having some sort of procedure done. But it soon became apparent to me that I was not able to function properly at all. I was manifesting almost like a stroke victim. I couldn't speak. I was garbled. I couldn't walk. I couldn't think straight. I had no cognition. I had no ability to hear loud noises, bright lights, any kind of stimulus. Just, I just, my body and brain shut down. And it came up, you know, quickly apparent to me that there was something really wrong. And by the time I had been released from the hospital, I was in Miami, I had been there for a week, they were doing a bunch of tests, they thought it might have been epilepsy, and I had a seizure, they put me on all the anti-seizure medication. But when I finally got back to New York, I was still unable to function, unable to speak, walk, and I was in a lot of pain. Yeah. I spent a lot of time with uh, neurologists, neuroscientists, and they all pretty much said the same thing. I had a TBI, a traumatic brain injury. My brain was inflamed. The inflammation was putting pressure on all parts of my brain, and that's why I was constantly shutting down and unable to, to function. Yeah. And that the only real relief was to bed rest, brain and bed rest, which meant lay in a dark room in bed, no stimulus for as long as it takes. And I do remember my husband asking, well, what does that mean? How long it takes? And the answer was, it could be a year, it could be three years. And it was that moment when, you know, the shock hits. My husband was like, I mean, he just froze. And it was apparent pretty quickly that we needed to figure out some sort of alternative because I was a mother of two children. I had a career, I'm a wife, I'm a daughter. I mean, I have a life. And laying in bed for a year, even up to three years, wasn't really acceptable. I'm also you know, type in New Yorker. I'm like, oh, I can beat this in six weeks. I got this. Yeah, come on. Come on. I can do this. But it was really quite quickly that I realized that that was not the case yeah. at all. And uh, finally, a few days later, my husband came to me and we had sort of created this communication protocol. I could, I could sort of scribble, very shakily scribble on a piece of paper to communicate with him. He came to me and he said, listen, I've been doing some research and I think we need to find an alternative. And for me, the alternative, I'm a yoga teacher, I'm a yoga practitioner, meditation. And to me, that meant, you know, yoga, Reiki, acupuncture, you know, meditation, breath work. But what he quickly said to me was, no, I'm talking about CBD. And you have to remember, you know, seven, eight years ago in New York State, Prohibition State, nobody knew what CBD was. Yeah, exactly. We were very lucky in that we have had family connections, a family farm out in Oregon. So we're connected with growers for years and connected with a a community of of healers. And so we did have some sort of idea of, of what CBD was, but it was really an education. My husband said to me, listen, I found some, some clinical research that's being done out of Israel with soldiers who have had TBIs from IEDs and they've been having some great results as an anti-inflammatory with CBD. Yeah. And at that point, I was like, I'll try anything. You know, I was like, sure, why not? Bring it. Yep. But then that's great. Once you decide to try it, then where do you get it? So the crickets were chirping and <laughs> there was nothing going on. So we put out the call to friends and family all across the country. And um, the community came through. They sent edibles. They sent tinctures. They sent topicals. They sent flour. They sent hemp. They sent marijuana. They sent everything and anything that they could find. 
However, nothing was labeled. <laughs> nothing <Yeah>. was, <laughs> you know. What is in uh, this bottle? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And there was a lot of trust, but there was also a lot of, you know, start low and go slow. You know, yeah. I, I took a little bit of something, tried it, saw it, felt it, dealt with it. What did it do? Did it do anything? It did. It didn't take a little bit more. Titrate up to my optimal dose. It changed by the day. It changed by the hour. If I, you know, some days I took it at this time, it was great. Some days I took it at that time, it wasn't so good. I needed help to sleep. Was this a was this a sleeping aid? Was this something that would make me more focused during the day? So it was a lot of trial and error, just like everybody says to do now. And with, as we know, with plant based therapy, the cannabinoids and the terpenes, everything affects everybody very differently. So I would try something. My husband would try something. We would have two very different experiences. Yeah. So eventually I found a protocol that worked for me. I found a mm-hmm. therapeutic protocol that that allowed me to function better and better as the days went on. And finally, I was able to get up. I was able to walk. I was slowly one day, two day, three days a week, able to go back to work. Oh, wow. Yeah. And that was within six months. It was more like three to four months. So that mm-hmm. was a great difference than a year yeah. or three years. Yep. So there, I knew there was something there to it. I'm curious about the protocol. I mean, it, what did you find really being kind of the levers in terms of, you know, timing, dosage, other activities, you know, your schedule, you know, the weather, like what, what were the things <laughs> yeah. that you found really became important to understand about how you were treating yourself? So I started with the most familiar, which was tea. I'm a tea drinker. And so I felt comfortable brewing tea. I felt comfortable with a warm cup of tea in the morning, which is my usual routine. And so that's what I really started with. And that's what really started to help me the most. It was a CBD-based, it was hemp-derived CBD-based tea. And I wanted something that was pure. So there, there were no other additives. So it wasn't like a mango green CBD tea. It wasn't, uh, you know, it wasn't anything like that. It was very much like the purest I could get um, of tea. And so when I started to try some of it, you know, at first I, it, it, it wasn't psychoactive, but it definitely, there was some definite intoxication. So I would use it a little bit more towards the evening to help me sleep because with a TBI, with an inflamed brain sleep, was not only key to healing, but also very elusive most of the time. So tea was the first thing I started because I was most comfortable because the visually and I knew it and I felt I felt, you know, I could I could handle that. It wasn't until much later that I felt comfortable inhaling anything. Mm-hmm. That sort of initial very quick onset was very challenging for me at that time. Topicals were very helpful. I also when I fell, I also fractured bruised my coccyx, which was extremely painful. So topicals helped there as well. That was more THC, but definitely had CBD in it, more of a Mm one-to-one. And then I eventually moved on to tinctures. That was my next step. And I just would really go from 700 milligram, 900, 12, you know, 1,000, 1,200. I would just sort of slowly but surely work my way up. And then when I hit something that felt either too much you know, I would step back a little bit, but it really was tea in the evening, tinctures during the day and topicals throughout the day. Yeah. Yeah. And did you find the, um, what was the, I guess the relief that you got? Was it feeling? Was it cognitive function? I mean, where, where did you notice the positive impact of the process? So I, once I started the tinctures, that's when I really started to feel the inflammation go down. That's when I started to be able to really notice that the pressure in my head was being relieved. 
the tea had sort of helped calm me down because a lot of the issue was anxiety. I really suffered from PTSD. And so initially the tea helped relieve and relax me. Whereas the tincture was where it started to, I could really feel the pressure being relieved. And that's when I was able to start to speak a lot better. I was able to balance a lot better. I was able to actually hold a conversation with more than one person because for a long time, if I was staring you know, face to face with someone, they were talking to me and someone came into the room and started talking to me from the side, I would shut down. So those were the things that I started to notice were changing. There was still like loud noise, bright lights were still challenging for me. And then eventually the one thing that was really challenging that I had never quite been able to resolve with cannabis was I lost my sense of smell and taste. Yeah. I had bruised the whole front part of my brain, which mm-hmm. um, definitely affected both of those. Those have come back slowly, but that's over years. That's been a lot of years that that has taken to heal, and it's not anywhere near full capacity. But I definitely have kept my protocol going. I've changed it a little bit over the years, but I definitely keep it going. And I've noticed that slowly but surely that's returning as well. Yeah. So you've had this experience, you've began to use, you know, cannabis to, you know, help assist your recovery. Where did it go from there? Like, what did that inspire you to do? Or how did that kind of inform, you know, what you wanted to do with cannabis? Well, I always say to people that, you know, that that phrase, when the universe knocks you over the head, you need to listen. (laughs) And it did. It knocked me on the head. And so I needed to listen. So as soon as I got back to my job, the company I was working for was bought out by a larger company. They asked me to help. I was managing a team of almost 40 people. I, I was asked to help transition the team over to the new company and work for the new company. And I said, you know what? Nah, I quit. So I helped the team transition, but then I stepped back and I came home. I remember that day and I turned to my husband. I said, I'm starting a cannabis company. And he was like, I totally hear you. That sounds, it was like therapy. Yes, you know when the, yeah. You know when the therapist says, start the phrase by, I hear you, but. So we went through a lot of, I hear you, but. You know that's not legal yet in New York. Yes, I hear you, but I feel like once it is legal. So I spent a lot of time actually in the beginning once I quit and decided I wanted to go into cannabis. I spent a lot of time researching and collecting data. And I ended up doing a lot of Tupperware-like type parties. I would go to someone's house, usually a woman in her yep. 40s. She would invite 10 of her friends. And inevitably, her mother in her 70s or 80s and her daughter, maybe in her 20s, would also come because everyone had curiosity about cannabis and everybody wanted to learn more and understand it. I didn't sell anything. I didn't do anything except have conversations, particularly with women, to hear about what their views are or on cannabis, as well as what they've heard about THC, CBD, legalization, the stigma, the history of the plant, how it became illegal, the racism, all of that. And I realized that there was a lot of information, there was a lot of misinformation, there was a lot of learning, and there was a lot of unlearning to be done. And so once I started to amass it was about a year or so that I started to amass this information and data from speaking to women across the country. I did what any entrepreneur did. I started selling CBD mm-hmm. um, and I started bringing product with me because women were asking. They're like, okay, now we, we hear you talking about cannabis and CBD, but yeah. can we see some? So I started bringing samples with me and inevitably they'd be like, oh my God, this is so interesting. I want to try it. Can I buy it? 
And if I had enough, I would sell it to them there. If not, I would say, I'll get back to you. But I ended up then throwing up a website, which probably got taken down. Um, (laughs) And then throwing up the website again, which probably got taken down. And then I thought, okay, this is great. You know, the information and the and the learning and the unlearning, all of that is starting to happen, but I really need to approach this and scale it so that I can reach more people. And so I approached a publisher that I knew, and I did something that I never thought, and still to this day, I'm shocked it even happened. I walked into this office and said to this man, I want to start a magazine. I want to call it Women in Weed. (laughs) And I thought, there's no way this person's going to say yes. This is insane. And he turned to me, he's like, all right, let's put out an issue and see what happens. (laughs) Yeah. And, it, you know, it's careful what you wish for. So I was like, great, let's do it. Let's let's put on a show. Yeah. Um, and we did. I put out uh, the first issue. It was a pink cover with a big pot leaf on it. And we got incredible newsstand real estate across the country in retail outlets that I never thought we'd ever get. Places wow. like, you know, CVS and, um, and Barnes and & Noble, but also mm-hmm. smaller mom and pop shops around the country, which is really what I wanted. I wanted to be able to reach women, obviously on the East and West Coast, all the way in between as well. Yeah. So we started the magazine. It got turned into a book. I've got the e-commerce going. I've got the book. I've got the magazine. And of course, the next thing was video. So I started to work on video content and starting to think about film, documentaries. We're going to take a quick break to hear some words from our sponsors. And now back to our program. And what were the what were the kind of topics, messages, questions that you really wanted to investigate, you know, with women in weed? I mean, what was your fo- editorial yeah, focus? Yeah, so it was really important for me to, based on what I had learned, it was really important that the education be sort of in three buckets, really. It was really about the science, and it okay. was to make sure that people, women, men, anybody understood that there is a lot of research and science out there and continues to be more and more every day and that it's there, you just have to look for it. And that the the science is the truth. You can't argue with science. And it's a plant, it's plant therapeutics and all of those things and talking to scientists, talking to researchers, talking to clinical trial, people who are, who are running clinical trials and writing about that specifically about women because I did know based on my own experience is that the plant affects men and women very, very differently based on ages, stages, hormones, menstruation, whatever it is. And so it's really important that people understand that the plant is going to affect people differently. Yeah. So the science is there. Then, because I have an incredible and I love storytelling and I have a background in it, it was very important for me that storytelling be a part of the equation and that women were going to tell their stories from their point of view, whether they were growers, whether they were cultivators, formulators, brand people, activists, senators, whatever it was that they were doing and how they touched the plant, they were going to tell their stories because people connect through storytelling. And when they hear other people's stories, they think, oh, I could do that. Or, oh, that's what you're doing. And so making that connection through storytelling was really important. And then the third part about it, which was most days the most important, was really creating a space where the truth came out. There was so much misinformation and there was so much wrong history being told, that it was really important for me that the voices that had been silenced for so long, 
have real estate in the pages of the magazine so that they could also tell their stories. And that means women of color, people of color, people who've been incarcerated for things that I'm doing right now, the the racist history of the plant and how it became illegal, why it became illegal, um, what is happening in terms of health equity, social equity, all of these things that were very important on the activism side, but that are going to touch everybody as we move towards legalization on a federal level. Yeah. Any, any particular, particularly good or, or meaningful stories for you, you know, people you spoke to stories that got told anything that sticks out in your mind? Yeah, there were so many, you know, there were, there were everything from, you know, women who are taking vows like they're nuns and really focusing instead of on Jesus on the plant and, Uh and dressing up as nuns. I mean, there's stuff like that, but then there's also, you know, humble bloom to women who are spending their time taking groups of people to farms so that they can touch the plant. They can be around the plant and see that it's growing just like a tomato plant, just like a basil plant and really connecting with the earth, connecting to the seed so that it's just not another thing they're buying on the shelves. There's an, there's an incredible group of activists, Counterclusive, who are focusing on making sure that women of color and people of color, their voices are heard and not only heard, but that change is being made so that we do not repeat what we've done in the past, the yeah. evils that we've done in the past. Yeah. There's a lot. There's so many. And there continues to be more every day as, as people are more comfortable, as legalization marches on. So many people are coming out with their stories and how they've been part of the community for so long, whether it's underground or above ground. Yeah. And so where did that lead? I mean, I, I always find that, you know, sort of th- these things kind of put you down a path. <laughs> What was the what was the kind of next stage of the path for you around this? Well, legalization happened in New York, yeah. and you know the excitement there is cuckoo crazy out here. Like, there's the possibilities are amazing, and so what I really started to focus on, and what has been in my sort of ancestral DNA for so many years from family and 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 years of being around growers and cultivators, it was time to start focusing on home grow. Since New York legalized home grow. It was really important for me that people start to think about the plant as just another plant in their toolkit, in their garden, you know, next to any sort of herbal entity, you know, next to their chamomile plant, next to their basil, next to whatever it is that they're using. Yeah. And that it becomes normalized in that way. Also, I've seen it over and over again. Um, Once you connect to the plant on that level, once you get your hands in the dirt, once you start to see the plant go from, you know, seed to seedling, you know, to full on plant, the connection there is, is great. And you have a new appreciation, you have a new understanding of the plant. And you also, you know, home grow allows you to, to really control what you are putting inside your body or on your body. You know, that it's how it's grown, you know, where it's grown, you know, how it's harvested. um, And you are able to focus on the strain that is really important to you, you know, there's a lot on the recreational side. There's a lot of very high THC product out there. On the medicinal side, there are very specific strains that are usually in the three categories that most people want, anxiety, stress, sleep, and chronic pain. And if you don't fall into any of those categories, or if you need something that's a mixture of either of those, you know, you're kind of out of luck. So with Homegrown, it allows you to grow exactly what you need to heal. And that's really important to me. So really focusing on, and also I'm kind of a, I'm kind of a seed nerd and I just, you know, the, 
the swapping and the genetics and the it's great. It's so fun. It's such a phenotype hunting. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, exactly. really fun, and it's yeah. real it's to to connect with people who have been collecting and who have uh, secret stashes. It's fun. It's really great. It's yeah. really really great. Do you find, or I guess for the homegrown market, I guess, how, how is this playing out? I mean, are these, you know, people that would like brew their own beer and, and you know, kind of get into the, um, you know, technology and the science of it? Or are these folks who really just, they, they want to have just more control over their ability to produce and, and create their own medicine and, and consume what they they really, really want. I mean, where are you seeing kind of the the home grow world kind of development? Yeah, I think it's both. You know, I think that you definitely have the type who is the home brewer who loves all the gadgets, who loves to buy this, that, and the other. But you do sort of find, you know, that type of person. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of gadgets. It's really expensive. You're you've just you know you've just brewed a five hundred dollar you know <laughs> keg of beer. Yeah. So, you know, I think that it's important to sort of find the middle ground, you know, the the home grower, if you're lucky enough to have land and are able to do an outdoor grow, it's a very easy process. It's not that difficult. It's just like growing tomatoes. It's a seed you put in the ground, you nurture it, light, water, nutrients, and it's going to grow. It's once you bring it indoors that it becomes a little bit more layered with gadgets and things and a home grow tent and, and making sure that the light and the humidity, the temperature and all of that and the, and the nutrients of the plant are, are okay. But still, it's not as complicated as people make it out to be and doesn't have to be. So I think it's both of those types as well as the type of person who has their own garden and likes to grow organic vegetables. Like, you know where your vegetables are being grown. You go yeah. to the supermarket. You're not going to completely ignore the supermarket or the dispensary because, you know, you can't grow everything. Yeah. But you're sort of staple and your your mainstay, you're going to grow yourself. Yeah. And what are the challenges? I mean, if, if you're really looking to foster, develop the, you know, people's ability to home grow or the home grow community, like, what is... Like what really is needed? Right? Is this information? Is this access to seeds? Is it access to product supplies? Things like that. Like where's the where are the choke points? Where are the things that are really preventing this from having more traction? Well, I think the first and foremost thing is whether or not it's legal in your state. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. I think yeah. understanding that is probably <laughs> step one. <laughs> the biggest pain point is legality. Yeah. And so if you're lucky enough to live in a state where home grows legal, you know, you've gotten over a giant hurdle. <laughs> yeah. That's the first hurdle. Um then it's the decision whether you have outdoor space or indoor space, or quite frankly, a combination of both in the Northeast. You can start indoor grow right around now, January, February. And then once it starts, spring starts to hit, you can you know move it out to an outdoor grow. But mm-hmm. if you're if you're raising your your seeds indoors full time, fully, if you're in an apartment, you know, it becomes a conversation to have, yes, about a tent light and and ventilation and airflow. But then also really one of the things that's challenging, because that all of that stuff is online, like you can buy that on Amazon, quite frankly. But one of the biggest challenges is then seeds. So there's lots of online seed places, sites, but you have to be careful, obviously, you know, for obvious reasons. But, you know, you have to decide too, if you're buying the female seeds, male seeds, if you want only femme seeds, then you just have to go find those. But if you want male seed as well, so that you can create your own seed, you have to 
start to think about that. I think it's what your intention of growing is. Yeah. If you're intended to grow a strain for your use, then you just want to find a femme seed. But if you want to start creating, getting your own seed, creating your own experience, then uh, you know you want both. And it's important to 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 have conversations with other people, other people who have grown. Where did you get your seeds? We are very lucky. I say we need in that we decided on our first grow legally in New York that we were going to focus on seed so that mm-hmm. we created um, a seed bank for future grows. And it's a conversation to have. And it's who do you trust? Who do you know? Where can I get it? And you'd be surprised. So many people are, are open and, and <laughs> there's there's a lot out there. Yeah, I always find like once you once you start asking some questions, connecting with some folks, that that leads to more things pretty quickly. Where, um, I mean, I guess, what do you think the future of home grow is? I mean, uh, looking at kind of the regulatory environment and kind of how cannabis is developing and kind of the you know the commercial production of cannabis, the medical production of cannabis. So, like, where, how do you see home grow kind of fitting into the to the future of of the world of cannabis? I'm very excited about home grow. I think it's a big, huge, and um, you know, step in the right direction. I'm very grateful that New York added it to the to legalization bill. I do think, though, in the future, you should be able to, as a consumer, choose where you get your cannabis. You should be able to choose either a retail outlet, a dispensary, quite frankly, a pharmacy, or home grow. Home grow should be an option that the consumer has to choose from. Whether or not you do it, you know, it's your choice. And that's really what it comes down to is choice for me. And if home grow is there and that choice is there, all the better. Because like we said, you know where it's coming from. You're controlling it. You're nurturing it. You're making sure it's organic. You're making sure there's no pesticides, molds, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. So I'm just happy to have it there as a choice. It's not for everybody. You yeah. know, lots of people don't have green thumbs or don't think they have green thumbs or lots of people don't want the hassle. They just want the instant gratification. But as long as it's there and you know it's there, the option is available. That's what I'm most excited about. Yeah. Alana, this has been a pleasure. If people want to find out more, what's the best way to get that information? So I'm on LinkedIn, of course. I'm on Instagram, of course. And I'm on Instagram actually twice. I have my own personal account, but then Indigo and Hayes, I-N-D-I-G-O and A-N-D-H-A-Z-E is the cannabis content. Excellent. I'll make sure that the handles and links and everything are on the show notes. Thank you. Lana, thank you so much for taking the time today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. I totally appreciate you giving me the opportunity. That's it for this episode of Thinking Outside the Bud. Be sure to subscribe using your favorite podcast app so you don't miss our future episodes. See you next time. You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets and access other great content. Visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.